bit about humility. And um, well, let's let's jump right in to our passages. We're going to start with Philippians two. Well, actually, you know, I was kind of thinking. You know, often, I mean, obviously, we 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 study God's word. We get instruction from God's word, and and we're given various commandments and well they're not suggestions they are commandments and a question I often have is well what does that look like you know how do I do that you know um, humility being one of those so as we get into these passages and we see because obviously our example is Christ um, and we're going to look at some passages where he both teaches and models what it looks like for us to walk in humility and obedience. And so let's let's jump right in. Philippians 2, 3, and 5. And actually, let me set this up here. Okay, uh, what I've included here is starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Actually, can we all stand, please, just briefly? And I'll just have you stand for the Philippians passage, and then I'll go through the rest of them. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. And Father, we do thank you just for this um, study on this evening and, and the example of Christ for us. Lord, uh, we, we definitely want to be doers of your word. We want to learn and grow. And uh, Lord, we praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So selfless humility. Um, that can be one of the most challenging assignments for us to walk in selfless humility um, because even, let's say, we're, we're walking in humility and then sometimes, you know, we want people to notice that we're being humble, right? I want you to see that I've been humble and pat me on the back for that. Would anyone agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah. So selfless humility is where I'm, I'm not looking for someone to notice what I've done. I'm just doing it as unto the Lord. Um, so what I wanted to add to that, okay, so we read that. Going down, and I didn't send this to David. Um, there it is. Verse 12 
Philippians 2 verse 12 says, So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, that is, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. Verse 13, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. So it's not, let me put it this way, and I think, I think we probably have all done this. Let's say we, we have, we do something that's not good, not cool. You know, maybe we have a bad interaction with someone. And our response may be, well, I'll just try harder next time, right? I'm, I'm just going to try harder. That doesn't work. The idea is for us to yield, you know, as, as the last song, lead me to the cross. Lord, I pour myself out to you, realizing I, I can't do this. God, I need, I need you to do this for me. I need to yield myself to you. Um, because it is not my strength. How many of you have tried to do something, let's say you've messed up, and then you say, I'm going to try harder next time, and you don't get it right the next time, or the next time, or the next time, <laughs> or the next time. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of those. It's, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. No, it, it doesn't work. It's, God, I need you. So, Let's dig into some of these other passages. Luke 10, 25 is our next one, starting at 25. Again, these are all familiar passages to us. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. And a certain lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that was the response of the, the lawyer. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this habitually and you will live. But here, even we see in this passage in verse 29, okay, he answers the question correctly, gives a pretty good summary of what he's supposed to do, quoting the law. But 29, but he wishing to justify and vindicate himself asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's looking for an out. How can I, how can I get around this commandment? And then we go into what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers who stripped him of his clothes and belongings, beat him, 
and went their way unconcerned, leaving him half dead. Now by coincidence, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also came down to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, obviously Samaritans were despised, a foreigner who was traveling came upon him and when he saw him, he was deeply moved with compassion for him. And he went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries. And he put him on his own pack animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Okay. So we see, you know, what transpires here in what Jesus shares. Those who should have been concerned about this man were not. Uh, the priest and the Levite, but a Samaritan who was despised did that. So, uh, and I think we'll, we'll see this as we go through. For our own lives, for us to walk in humility takes time. Um, and let me expand on that. When someone is in need, and it could be just just they need someone to listen to them. That takes time, right? It takes an investment of time. Sometimes we're not the most patient people, right? It's like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Tell your story, come on, get, come on, get through with it. Um, I had a situation, it was a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a Saturday, I believe it was, and I... I pulled out and I was, I was waiting to go do some, an activity, and a guy pulled up beside, I pulled into the 7-Eleven uh, parking lot, and a guy pulled up beside me, and he wanted to talk. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, no, no. But then I said, wait a minute. This wasn't a coincidence that he pulled up beside me. And he said, now, I, I will say, He was under the influence, but I believe he was because he mentioned that his father had died the night before. And he's, he was just driving around and he said, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, come on now. <laughs> but as I said, I had to settle down and say, wait a minute, this, this guy needs some time. And I, I shared a little bit of my story and he, he thanked me. He, it was probably 10 or 15 minutes that we talked. But that was a quick example because really what I wanted to do was leave. I said, I, I, you know, I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. I have something else to do. But this was an opportunity for me to, to take some time with him to primarily listen to him. And you all have heard me say this, share this before. Something that I have learned Many times people just need someone to listen to them. They, they don't need advice. They just need someone to listen to them, to acknowledge them, to affirm them, or to provide some type of 
some type of guidance, but primarily to listen to their concerns. Okay. So, verse 34, and he went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to soothe and disinfect the injuries. And he put him on his own pack animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took, two, he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and constantly do the same. Now, scholars, many biblical scholars believe that <clears throat> because Samaritans were despised, that this lawyer could not even bring himself to say Samaritan. He just said, the one who showed mercy to him. Well, that's an interesting, an appropriate message for us. One of the ways that we can demonstrate humility is to be merciful and to show compassion. Um, as we all know, many people in our sphere of influence, whether, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's work, or even sometimes here in the fellowship, you know, people are hurting for various reasons. Um, you know, family situations, financial situations, and, you know, Jesus teaches us and he models for us being compassionate and merciful, which takes time. We can't really be compassionate and merciful, you know, when we're in a hurry. So that, that is um, something for us. And it, it's, I think Pastor, well, actually Pastor Randy shared this at the men's uh, uh, session last Saturday. Think of all the convenient devices that have come about, let's say in the last 35 years, that have made us quite impatient. This is one of them. We can get everything that we need, all the information that we need through this. Uh, we don't have to wait. We can take pictures and they're instantly ready. You, you, everyone here is over 40. So you all remember 20, 30 years ago, you had to, you know, you take your picture, you send it off, or you take it to the store and you wait and wait. Um, here's another one. When we ordered things from catalogs, you know, what's a catalog? <laughs> we had to wait, what, two weeks, three weeks? Um, let's say we ordered furniture. Took a long time for that stuff to come back. Now we have living spaces. You order it, and they ship it to your house at, in the afternoon, which makes us, it's like, okay, give it to me now. You know, 
here's another one. Let's say someone has a problem and we give them our pearls of wisdom and they don't do it. It's like, I told you what you needed to do. <laughs> Why aren't you doing it? It takes time. Which then ties into patience. Okay, verse 38. So we're changing gears, but kind of the, the same theme is, is um, similar theme is at work here. <clears throat> now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. This was pretty bold of Martha, I, I might add. <laughs> She's going to tell the Lord, <laughs> you're not handling this situation right. You need to tell her to get up and help me. So we get some more clarity here. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. Does that not define our age? Worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, as you know, usually when I share, I have an audience participation part of the message, right? Okay, here's the audience participation part. What are some of the things that distract us in life? You can yell it out. Telephone. Social media, okay, what else? TV, kids, children, all right. Anybody else? Work. Peep, yeah, it's true, it's true. Sickness. Now, none of those things are necessarily bad but when they, when they create anxiety and worry and distract us from the things that are, in this case, the thing that is essential is spending time at the feet of the Lord. That's a problem. This, I, we've all seen it. A uh, couple goes to a restaurant. They're sitting, <laughs> and both of them are on their phones. My thing is, then why go out? Or, you know, obviously, you know, kids require a lot of, a lot of time and attention. Um, I had a few few kids 
in my home who are now 31 and 20, I think 27. And wow, I, <laughs> I got frustrated a lot, I'll say that. Because they were teenagers, teenagers and a preteen. So you all, you all know how that goes. And I found myself having to apologize to them at times because I lost my cool and, and I accused them of things that they didn't do. And <laughs> why are you laughing at me, Jareen? <laughs> You're right. But spending time at the Lord's feet, um, spending time in his word, in prayer, meditating on his word. You know, we look at a passage like this, which we all know, but the, the implications of this. Um, okay, let's continue. So again, 42, but, but only one, interesting, Jesus says, but only one thing is necessary. So does that mean that we're not to clean the house? No, no. Um, interesting story. Um, well, no, I'm not going to share that one because I didn't, I didn't get permission to share it, so I'm not going to share it. Okay, 42, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Um, I am finding, and I'm sure you are too, that as I spend quality time daily in God's word, that one, I am challenged personally. And there are many things, many things that I, I'm reading and I'm like, oh, 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 <laughs> I need to do that a little differently. <laughs> And there are some things where I can see where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm responding to those things a little bit better now than, than I was, let's say, five years ago. Like, man, that's cool. Where, God, I, I want to honor you. I want to honor you. Where, you, obviously, we, we don't necessarily want our time with God to be an obligation. We want it to be a joy. It's, man, I get to spend time with God. It's a privilege to, you know, I, generally I do my, I'm a morning person. Um, I get up at four o'clock every day. Um, I, I just like the stillness of the morning, so I, I do my devotional time. And thankfully, there was a time when my, it was a duty. It was like, okay, I, I got to do my reading. And, and it was just that. I would just read it many times. I would finish my reading. I didn't, I didn't remember what I read, <laughs> but I did my reading. Where now it's, let me, let me settle into this, and God, what do you have to say to me? Um, and this is what Jesus is communicating to Martha. Okay, let's go on to John 8, one of my favorite favorite passages in the Word of God. Man, we're going to be done by 7.55 here. 
All right. John 8. Starting at verse 5. Now in the law, and this is the story of the uh, woman caught in adultery, so I'm kind of jumping into it. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women to death. So what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? They said this to test him, hoping that they would have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground with his finger. However, well, let me stop there. Walking in humility and, you know, we're we're looking at the teachings of Jesus as well as uh, the model that he set for us. This was a a high-powered confrontation because, you know, they wanted they wanted to they were willing to kill this lady to get to Jesus and trip him up, which is pretty cold, uh, especially for religious leaders. That's it's kind of cold. But what we see is that Jesus did not respond with anxiety. He was calm. He was cool. Now, obviously, he knew what they were trying to do. Um, Verse 7, however, when they persisted in questioning him, he straightened up and said, he who was without any sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Um, One thing that I am learning, you know, and we can go back to distractions. There are times that, you know, when we come into contact with other people and let's say they're living lives (coughs) that are completely sinful. We have to be careful not to be condemning to those people and realize, just as Jesus said, he who's without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone (coughs) at her. Um, Because, honestly, their sin can be a distraction for us. From the standpoint of we don't see the person, we just see the sin. And I, I need to attack, I need to attack them. And it becomes, it becomes a, a human battle. One place we see this is in politics where it becomes just an attack. And, you know, I like how Pastor Randy shares that, you know, a lot of the issues, you know, the, the hot button issues have been politicized so that the, the human element is taken out of it. And instead of addressing people, people, by the way, whose minds have been blinded by the enemy. It just becomes, let me, let me insult them. You know, let me let them know that they're wrong. I, you know, I've shared with you all many times where, um, you know, I had a, a colleague of mine who told me that he thought I was attractive 
and <laughs> I think at that time my, my fist started to clench, you know, as he said that. And, you know, I realized that was the wrong response. It, it was an opportunity for me to share, you know, to engage in conversation with him. And, and again, I, I consider the man to be a friend to this day. We, I shared the truth of the gospel. He chooses not to accept that. Um, but I, I had to transition from, honestly, from hatred and disgust to realizing this is a man whose eyes have been blinded. And here's one, the Lord loves him and has a plan for his life. And as we begin to look at people that way, um, that will certainly help us to, to minister. Here it is. It'll help us to listen to them. They can tell their story. Um, you know, I find a lot of people when they're, when they're consumed in their lifestyle, there's some kind of trauma that they suffered somewhere along the way. Uh, this, this fellow that I spoke of, I came to learn that his father despised him as a child. And we all know, all of us have been hurt in some way or another. And we know the impact that that can have on someone. And sometimes it can launch people into lifestyles and things that, that are certainly are destructive. And sometimes we're, we're, we can be the only, the only Bible, the only kind word, the only friendly face that someone, you know, can see. Okay. Verse 8, then he stooped down again and started writing on the ground. They listened to his reply, and they began to go out one by one, starting with the oldest ones until he was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She answered, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now, Jesus obviously was the only one who was qualified to condemn her. But he didn't. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I have to believe that certainly, certainly the lady, but also those, um, those men left that encounter with some pretty heavy thoughts on their minds. Like, hmm. and again, I, I want to see what he wrote on the ground. What, what did he write? You know, was it the names of them and their sin? Was it, you know, what was it that made those men stop in their tracks, drop their rocks, and walk away? And again, notice how he did that. 
I don't see Jesus anxious or mean in this encounter, in this exchange with him. He was calm and, uh, again, when I would see this, when I would read this passage years ago, you know, my thought was, like, get him, Jesus, get him, <laughs> get him. But the more, you know, the more I read it, I'm thinking, no. I, I think Jesus was kind of telling them, like, like, come on, guys. It, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, you have sin as well. You, first of all, you all set this lady up. And two, where's the guy who may have well been in the, you know, in the crowd? But he was reaching out to them as well. Okay, Psalm 25. So, you know, again, we're talking about humility and... Um, You know, we're looking at how Jesus both taught and modeled, small sample size, obviously. But we certainly get an idea here in Psalm 25, verses 12 through 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with submissive wonder? He will teach him through his word in the way he should choose. His soul will dwell in prosperity and goodness, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the wise counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will let them know his covenant and reveal to them through his word its deep inner meaning. Um, fearing the Lord, awe-inspired reverence, worshiping him with submissive wonder. Obviously tied up, tied into that is faith trust you know we we know that when we look at a number of um, biblical characters we see how their faith developed over a period of time I think one of the last times I shared I was talking about Joseph and uh, I know we, we did a study, men's study on Joseph, maybe a year or so ago. Well, it was probably two years. But again, what, what blows me away about that and others, from the time that Joseph was thrown in the pit by his brothers, largely because he had shared you know, the dream that they were going to bow down in front of him, and they're like, no way. From the time that he was thrown in the pit until they actually bowed down in front of him was 22 years. We were all around 22 years ago. But God used that time to, to shape 
Joseph's heart. Where instead of Joseph, I mean, let's all put ourselves in the place of Joseph. Your siblings throw you in a pit and then sell you. I'm thinking there'd be a little bit of resentment when you saw them again. Just a little. But because God had molded him, you know, through the experience with with Potiphar's wife and being thrown in jail and um, then um, Joseph interpreting the dreams um, of of the the baker and the cupbearer, interpreting Pharaoh's dream and, and all of that, the, you know, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, and Joseph saw God's faithfulness. And I know I'm learning this, and I, I'm sure you all are too, that it is through that adversity that God teaches us the best lessons. The problem is none of us want the adversity. (laughs) But those lessons are so effective and they stick. They stick. Now, we have a choice in those times to accept that lesson and fear the Lord, worshiping him. And as we do that, he will teach us um, again, the latter part of verse 12, he will teach him through his word in the way he should choose. I'm sure we've all encountered situations where as it begins to unfold, we have a choice, a series of choices. Okay, how am I gonna respond to this? Am I going to trust the Lord in this or am I going to say, you know what, I just want it to be over, I'm gonna handle it and I'm gonna take care of it. And what happens when we handle it ourselves? Big old mess. Big old mess. And then we have to learn the lesson again. Verse 13, his soul will dwell in prosperity and goodness, and his descendants will inherit the land. Doesn't it feel really nice when we obey the Lord? When we we trust him, we rest in him. It's like, God, I want to do this your way. It's a good feeling. Again, 14, the secret of the wise counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will let them know his covenant and reveal to them through his word its deep inner meaning. I generally ask this question when I share, but uh, I will ask it again. How many of you have 
been reading a passage or a series of passages for decades. And then there's one time you read it, and it's like, ah, ah. Doesn't that feel great? It's like, I, I get it now. Or I see how that applies in this situation. God, I see your faithfulness. I see how, you know, you've been using these different situations over 15, 20, 30, whatever years. Oh, I, I see. So he will let us know his covenant and reveal to us through his word its deep inner meaning. I said we're going to be here till 7.55, 7.56, so technically I'm done. But that's kind of the summary of walking in humility before the Lord. And it, it's not our strength where we're doing that, where we're yielding ourselves. We're, and sometimes that requires, a lot of times really, it requires us to say and to think, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue what I'm doing. But God, I, I want you to guide me through the situation. So, dear Father, we, first of all, we worship you on this evening. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have granted us the privilege of being in relationship with you. Father, it is our desire to, to trust you, to rest in you. Lord, to, to hold you in high esteem, to revere you. Lord, we thank you that you have pres preserved your word for us and that you, you teach us. Lord, you encourage us. Lord, there are obviously times when you, when you chasten us but it is your goal to mold us into the image of Christ. And um, Lord, we just praise you. Lord, you see Pastor Randy and Pastor Frank, and those of us who are not with us on tonight who may be sick. Um, we just ask for your comfort. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.